I often think of God's eye view of somehow looking down from heaven. I sometimes wonder if it's walking the neighborhood. The, the way God kind of sees the world is at the at the pace of walking and at the scale of kind of a human height on their standing on their own legs. Welcome to the Renovari Podcast, a place for honest and unhurried conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and our guest today is Mark Buchanan. Mark's an author, speaker, pastor, and associate professor of pastoral theology at Ambrose University. Mark's recently written a book titled God Walk, Moving at the Speed of Your Soul. As someone who does a lot of walking, I was very eager to talk with Mark about walking as a spiritual practice. I spoke with Mark from his home in Alberta, Canada. So, Mark, I'm curious, how long have you been a speedwalker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, my wife, who's shorter than me, and that's a hard thing to be, I'm 5'6", and she's 5'4", she is a speedwalker in ways that I can hardly catch up with her. And and yet, when I want her to be a speedwalker, which is usually in an airport, she seems to sort of mosey and stroll. <laughs> so uh, maybe we can get into that later. Almost all of my disciplines are trying to bridle myself, slow myself down, actually. But there's sometimes I just have this haste in me. And uh, those are the times that my wife seems to sort of go, go at the opposite pace. <laughs> well, it's is this, a, this is a marriage counseling course, right? That's Did right. I, That's okay, right. Good. Yeah. yeah. She'll be here in a second. <laughs> yeah. What has your experience and practice been with walking? Well, I mean, I, uh, just a lifelong walker and never really thought about it until I got into my fifties. I mean, I thought about it, but not in any philosophical, theological sense. I didn't really think of walking as a spiritual practice. I thought it's what you did to get from the parking spot in the mall to the story you're going to. And I just started to think about what have been the practices that have been most formative, actually, like those things that are outside the classic disciplines of prayer and fasting, et cetera. What are the, the things that have formed me most deeply? Where do I feel most connected with myself, with God, with others, with the creation? And I realized it was walking. I've always just enjoyed going for a walk. It's a way I clear my head or sort myself out or connect with a friend. And so I just got intrigued. The way I write is I, I get intrigued. I get curious. I don't write about what I know. I, I write about what I want to know <laughs> and maybe have 30, 40 pages in me that I can just riff. I know enough to get 30, 40 pages out of an idea. And then at that point, I either know I've got something that I'm still really, really interested in and I'm going to do the research to backfill it. Or I've turned that into an article or something and I, <laughs> I go on to something else. So walking, I started writing about it and I got more fascinated as I went. Just as a side, I had a similar experience where I didn't, never thought of walking as a spiritual discipline, partially because I liked it so much. <laughs> so, you know, can't count, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's not a hair <laughs> shirt. It's not a nail bed, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> what did you learn from writing the book? Nate, I learned so much writing the book. Some of it 
was bringing to the surface and finding language for things that I knew in my belly. I knew in my gut. I knew through just a lifetime of walking. Some of it was just discoveries along the way. I uh, just looking at the neurology of walking, looking at the physiology of walking, finding out. I mean, it's obvious in one sense, but to look at the research about how walking an uneven trail is doing so much more in terms of enhancing equilibrium and muscle formation, et cetera, than walking on concrete, or, et cetera. So lots of fun stuff. Uh, you know, forest walking, this practice that uh, comes in both indigenous communities and, and Japanese communities that has this deep science now behind it around what kind of sense and what they do that trees give out that are part of kind of a have healing properties. So that was, that was wonderful to kind of uh, my wife and I work a lot with indigenous communities or walk with indigenous communities and uh, cedar bathing is a practice among West coast or coast Salish people. Well, that it turns out that that's just got this really, really good science underneath it which is, of course, the Western fetish. You know, show me how this has sort of some <laughs> scientific credibility. But that something's going on in our, in, our, in our physiology when we walk in a forest over against walking in, um, in a place where there's not all that kind of scent or aroma of the earth. What happens for you when you walk? Just prior to this, I went for, I try to get a, a daily walk-in. Sometimes it's, today it was maybe two and a half miles, so it wasn't much. I try to get between that and six, seven miles in a day. And not out of any kind of competitiveness. I'm not counting steps or anything like that. But what I do is I usually come back to myself. I can get so outside of myself um, partly that's the work I do as a writer, as a professor, where uh, I sort of start thinking these, uh, I think they're lofty thoughts or deep thoughts. Sometimes they're quite trite and banal, but uh, I can get kind of lost in them in a way that's quite disembodied. Uh, and so th this sense of um, a kind of moving from this world of abstraction to this concreteness of the footfall and the earth and the creation around me and paying attention to my, my breath and noticing the neighbor and noticing the neighborhood or whatever area I'm walking in. I, I feel that it brings me back. I come back into my body in a sense through walking. I mean, a faith that proclaims that at the center of it is the word became flesh, <laughs> this incarnational as you know, the earliest heresy was Gnosticism, this denial of the embodiment of Christ. And so the sense where anything that's kind of bringing us back into our body, I think is inherently a move toward uh, knowing Christ, knowing God. So it's the opposite of what a, a lot of the religious impulses have been throughout the ages, that somehow if we could sever or transcend this body, we'd, we'd really have a deeper encounter with God. And Christianity is quite, and, and Judaism is quite insistent on the other, the opposite. But again, I inhabit, um, I, I have a job that I either have to go work with things with my hands, have to build stuff, or I walk as a way of getting back into my body. A friend of mine gave a quote, uh, those who work with their mind 
rest with their hands. Those who work with their hands rest with their mind. Something to that effect. So perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of walking a little like I do silence, that it's reliable. Oh, good. Right? That there's, yeah, it's, I don't always know what I'm going to find, but I always. Oh, I love that. Find something. Yeah. yeah, it always, yeah, it's reliable. There's always something there waiting. And like with silence, you have to be, you have to wait it out. You have to be patient with it. Um, if I'm in a in a place where I'm bothered, fussed, vexed, or I'm just distracted, it will take me a significant amount of walking before I get to that place of kind of clarity. And silence is like that. I actually just the other day read your chapter on fasting in your book on the ordinary saint. And uh, just so appreciated you kind of, you're journaling <laughs> this experience of a five day fast and uh, just, you know, that if you give it time, things start to sort of emerge first that clarity. And then that kind of like, Oh, there's something else going on in me. I think I could frame fasting as reliable as well. Yeah. Right? You, you don't necessarily know what you're going to find, but you, you will, you'll learn and, Often, for me, I, I feel a little more human. Oh, I love that. When you use the phrase Godspeed, what do you mean right. by that? Well, of course, this, this a thousand-year-old blessing or, or a way of kind of sending someone on their way, this hope and promise that God would, you would go at the pace of God, you would keep pace with God, keep company with God, that you don't need to go fast, you don't need to go slow, you need to go at the pace of God. There's a beautiful book, and I quoted a few times in my book on walking, called The Three Mile an Hour God, which is roughly the pace of an average walk. It's a bit of a brisk walk, actually, three miles an hour. And he talks about the pace of God is a pace of love, so it's it's not it's not fast. There's a slowness to it, and so a God speed is really that pace that God keeps. I mean, I, I don't want to stretch the metaphor too far, but there is. I think most people, Christian or no, are experience the sheer volume and pace of life has had some pretty serious consequences in terms of our, just the quality the state of our hearts. And, uh, and so most people have that moment where they've just been going flat out and they're, they're frustrated and they feel everything's getting very sort of thin and strained and they, something slows them down. Sometimes it's even an illness or an accident, but uh, preferably it's, you know, you just find yourself with a group of people you love in a cabin in the woods or something. And how that slowing down, I often we'll fight it for the first little while because it's so unfamiliar. We're trying to find our iPhone or get a signal or whatever. And then we relax into it. We start to feel the recovery of that thing that's withered up in us. So I, I got, Godspeed is really trying to live more of my life at that, in that place, not constant contemplation, but this place where I guess that, that sense of always being in a hurry, even when I no, have no reason to be in a hurry, that starts to kind of die in me. And I I think that's so damaging, that hurriness, hurriedness, like uh, is it John Artberg called it the hurry sickness or whatever, that that sense where it's gonna it's gonna start to plague a whole bunch of other areas of my life, my relationships, my ability to hear God, 
I just enjoy stuff, just enjoying food. <laughs> I, I do when I can. If I'm meeting with people, I like to walk or uh, hike with them. And I walk quite slow. And I'll blame my dad. He's much slower than I am. <laughs> but I'll often, when I'm walking with people, they're, they're walking fast or faster than I would like to. And I'll just kind of pull them back, right? I'll just be a half a step behind them. And I notice after a few minutes, they naturally kind of pull back and then we find a nice, a nice pace, but a, a good, a good pace you can live with walking, right? That's uh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as a, as part of the beautiful thing about walking, you know, running is about winning generally. It's about getting there first. And I, I maybe I'm I'm biased because I I'm not physiologically I'm I just I'm a horrible runner. Uh, it's always been like carrying around sacks of sand when I run, but uh, always been a fairly good walker. So so maybe I'm, I'm you know I don't want to diss running. I think there has many many benefits, but inherently we think of running as getting there fast or getting there first or whatever, whereas walking is about getting there together. There you go. Part of the year, my wife and I live in a small island where we, we do a ministry with indigenous women. And part of the reason we chose that setting is there ain't much to do but go for walks. <laughs> and so we do a lot of walking individually, but also together. But um, I, I, it's basically the slowest person sets the pace. Yeah. Which isn't actually a bad metaphor for thinking about Christian community too. Like, hmm. like it's one thing, somebody who's deliberately trying to sabotage going somewhere, but, uh, the person who is wanting to get wherever you're going, but just can't move as quickly as the others, the, the fact that they get to set the pace is kind of a beautiful picture of what I think Paul is talking about when he's talking about the weakest members are sort of given hmm. honor and. You certainly see more when you go slower. Yeah. I, for me, I, I, here in Colorado, I love the wildflowers. Mm. And it, it's amazing. I can walk for a very long time and not see them. But when I slow down a little, oh, there you are. <laughs> kind of everywhere they start to, which is get, it's another good, helpful metaphor for life. Yeah, I, I've often said to people, especially lately after the book came out and I've been asked to give little talks about walking. I've just asked, you know, kind of a straw vote or show of hands. Um, people, you know, how, how often do you walk your neighborhood? And it's surprising how that's not really a habit for a lot of people. And I just say, would, would you consider even before the day is out that you would take even a 20-minute stroll through your neighborhood? And I can promise you that you're going to, if you've been driving in and out of your neighborhood for however long you've lived there, you will be stunned by the things you'll notice and see that you never noticed and saw before. <laughs> and some people have gotten back to me and said, I had no idea. <laughs> I've often thought if you're going to move somewhere, walk the neighborhood. Oh, good. Oh, I like that. You really don't know a space until you no. walk it. It's almost human scale. Like I think I make that point in the book, God Walk, that, you know, when walking, we experience a kind of a, a realism uh, about the community or the space we're in. Um, like, you know, I often think of God's eye view of somehow looking down from heaven. I sometimes wonder if it's walking the neighborhood, <laughs> the, the way God kind of sees 
the world is at the at the pace of walking and at the scale of kind of a human height on their standing on their own legs. That's good. What was your favorite chapter to write? For, for sure, it was the one on exorcism. The book structured as uh, walking as, walking as, walking as friendship, walking as discipline, walking as exercise, et cetera. But the one I, I wrestle whether to write, I knew I wanted to fairly early, but it just seemed like risky ground was uh, walking as exorcism. And the, the idea that I explore is this middle ground where um, Jesus doesn't cast out a demon. He kind of makes us responsible for it. So the, the key text is turning to Peter and says, get the, behind me, Satan. He says to Peter, in a sense, you deal with this. And then, you know, Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Luke, Luke 22. Uh, and I'm just going to pray you kind of, st- you know, withstand it. So there's a sense where sometimes Jesus leaves it to us to kind of do battle with those things that are in us that don't seem, they seem kind of beyond the natural. I'm very much, let me just back up and say, I'm very much an advocate in terms of thinking about spiritual formation that we attend to the human condition. So we're not trying to demonize or cast out every fear or doubt or anything like that. We just have this, we're dealing with the reality of our frail humanity. But I think there's sometimes there's things where they do take on a, a kind of spiritual strength or proportion that's not entirely explained by, I just, I'm really angry here that there's sort of a spirit or something. And uh, so anyhow, I tell the story, I, I kind of explore that theologically, I tell the story of this moment within my anger toward my son when he was young and did something that really was scary to me, scary to my wife, would have been scary to my son if I had caught up with him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she, my wife can be a very gentle soul, but she can be quite the stern prophet when the circumstances necessitate it. And she basically ordered me out on a walk and I don't know how long I walked, but it was, I'd guess probably 12 or 14 miles, um, until I really felt like God had kind of met me and that I had kind of put this thing that was uh, struggling that I didn't know. I mean, I felt it was bigger than me and felt that I could, um, you know, that God had sort of met me and given me strength to to best it and came back and then had this beautiful encounter with my son that was um, deeply redemptive for both of us. So I just love that uh, that chapter. I've, I've got some feedback on it. I mean, I, I felt I was taking some theological risks. I was taking some personal risks <laughs> in talking about it. But... Um, yeah, I, I, for sure. It was just my, my favorite thing to kind of really probe into that. <laughs> and and are you are you taking this in a sense of kind of a cleansing or like a yeah, kind of almost, work some things yeah, out Yeah, here? I mean, you know, there was a catharsis and maybe there's uh, a good psychologist could explain to me what happened. But to me, it did feel like some something was hold of me that I, I wouldn't say, you know, just felt bigger than me um, that I, and that uh, though God would be my help, that there was certain, certain responsibility that God would place on me to go and kind of confront this thing. And again, I, I think I talk about in the, in the book, um, you know, those encounters that we have in scripture, not the least Jesus with the devil that 
something very much is on the line and it's it's not all just an intervention of god there's something kind of required of the person uh and deal there's other stories where that person is just kind of so completely taken over that there has to be a direct intervention divine intervention so but but i think there's that middle ground so i was probing that middle ground i'm just wondering it and just really honestly in my life there's been you know, I can count them on, on one hand, those times where I thought this thing that has got hold of me, anger or lust or fear, is taken on dimensions that's just bigger than the human condition. And that uh, I do need deliverance, or I do need divine help, but there's a sense where I think about going back all the way to Genesis chapter 4, where, you know, this murderous anger growing in Cain, and God says to him, sin is crouching at your door. Uh, don't let it take you down, basically. So there's a sense of this is going to get bigger than you if you don't do something. So that's what I wanted to explore, Nathan, that sense of that middle ground where it's beyond human condition stuff or n- normal normal kind of uh, human reaction to things. But it's thought, you know, we wouldn't call in the exorcist, basically, even though I use that right. term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It, sometimes I'll think of, uh, I'm going until I'm better. <laughs> How long are you going? I don't know. Yeah, that's we're right. going to, And then I'll find, and often it'll be a good point where I'll just touch a tree or something. Like, all right, we're done. Yeah. Time to head back, you know. And maybe that's all I'm really talking about. But in this case, I'm trying to describe something that the needing to get better is maybe a little more urgent or desperate or... Uh, uh, the damage I might do yeah, if I don't get better could be quite, you know, catastrophic. It feels like a co-laboring, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing this together and I'm, my yeah. part right now is to walk and be yeah. open. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's good. Mark, wh- what do you hope for people reading the book? Really, Nathan, I, I guess every book I've written, I want to sort of be some small influence in a revival of that thing. So, you know, one of my, best-selling books is on Sabbath. It's 15 or 20 years ago I wrote it, but I, I really wrote it in terms of why I thought a wider audience might appreciate it. It's hoping that more people actually took seriously Sabbath. And I guess I want people to recover the wonder, the miracle of this ordinary thing that most of us are doing every day and not reflecting on, not sort of thankful for, but just to get walking. And then you've read the book. So really here's some things that might help to kind of shape a daily practice and ordinary practice into something that really does deepen your life in God, deepen your life as a human, deepen your, your relationships, et cetera. You start the book uh, referencing a friend of yours who's um, not able to walk. Could you give a word for people who, you know, hearing, but maybe they're not able-bodied in the sense, um, it, do we get to play? Do we get yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've I not only start the book, but I, I have a whole chapter on for those who can't walk. And, uh, and that was right at the forefront. That's why the book starts that way that I really thought I don't want anybody to feel that this is somehow uh, some, um, you know, this is so important to your Christian life, your relationship with God, that uh, if you lack it, then somehow you're lacking something really essential. At the same time, I wanted to make a case that this, this is really amazing that most of us can do this and 
things happen when you do. So the word I'd give to people who can't walk is that I think all of the benefits of walking other than the, the, the phys- physical kind of exercise uh, that we gain from it, all of the benefits of closeness, you know, closeness to God, to others, to kind of working through those things that we talked about, they're available to anybody in whatever bodily state they have. And, um, and it just means there's going to be maybe a different set of practices that you build around sort of the, the going after that or the, the nurturing of that particular thing that you want in your spiritual life. So that's what I speak about in that chapter is, you know, finally, I think in a lot of ways, spiritual disciplines and formation is about coming back to ourselves in in a sense that I I come back to this person who's loved by God, made in the image of God, somehow involved in in the world that God made, somehow involved in the creative, co-creative way with that. That's available to everybody. And no one's exclusive because of some limitation, whether it be physical or mental. That's good. Are there other things you learn from your indigenous friends about walking? <laughs> I learned so much from my indigenous friends. It's been about a 20-year journey with my wife. And actually, uh, one of the things our indigenous friends often say is, I need to walk with that. That They need to spend time <laughs> with that. And so I've picked up that phrase. Um, because I want to rush to, you know, an answer or figuring it out. And that idea, now this is going to take some time. Uh, there's a great book that was written by a, a Canadian uh, Indigenous political leader, uh, first radio personality, not a political leader by Wap Canoe. Uh, came out about six or seven years ago called The Reason You Walk. And it really is his journey in as an Indigenous man, uh, discovering his identity, uh, working through some issues that he um, of addiction, et cetera, uh, particularly the relationship with his father. And that book so beautifully summarizes uh, so much that I've learned from the indigenous people that I walk with. And that is that the important things take time. The important things take time. They take an, a certain intentionality, not, not a, um, obsessing over but an intentionality Uh, so every journey you know has some kind of destination in mind even if we're just going to the park and back and so there's that intentionality about it that's at the heart of the ancient pilgrimage so really i guess you know i don't think i i have said this anywhere i'm going to say it right here i think in a lot of ways indigenous people understand the root impulse behind pilgrimage that you go on this journey, it's going to take time. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to walk through all kinds of conditions. There's going to be many, many times where you just want to turn back, give up or turn back. But there will be some revelation, epiphany. You don't know what. <laughs> but there will be something uh, if you finish this. And so uh, my indigenous friends kind of embody that. Like I don't... It's it's so deep in the culture and the culture of many indigenous people that I don't think they they think about that. It's just kind of uh, their their default, and it's a good default. Many of us have to unlearn <laughs> uh, things and discover. <laughs> That's good. Any 
pilgrimages you have? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've really would like to go on a pilgrimage. I, I've you know I do some long long walks. I would love to do the Pembrokeshire coast in Wales. I, I would like to do Camino El Camino, but it's uh, it's it's almost become trendy. <laughs> uh, the Pembrokeshire. <laughs> well, you can't do it then. Yeah, that's yeah. well, of course, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, well, my wife and I lived in Wales for a part of a year, and we're not far from the the, the coast. And it's thirteen hundred kilometers. I don't know how that measures out in miles, but uh, it's this beautiful, perilous in places walk. And mostly barren. There's not many people doing it. I've walked sections of it, and you hardly see a soul. And um, and and there, you're you're you know the wildness of the west coast of Wales in terms of its weather. You, you just have no idea what you're going to wake to. And I like that. I like that sense that one day you're just going to just get sodden, and the next day you're probably going to have to strip down to your you know to, down to your down to your waist just to kind of survive the heat or whatever. So I would love to do that in my lifetime. Some, uh, some, some of the hiking in, in other parts of the UK as well, or the pilgrimages I wouldn't mind doing. Mark, it's great to meet you. I, I very much appreciate the way you write and um, appreciate getting to talk with you today. Oh, thanks, Nathan. Likewise. And that was Mark Buchanan talking about his book, God Walk, Moving at the Speed of Your Soul. Mark's written a number of other books, including The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. You can find out more about Mark and his work on his website at markbuchanan.net. That's Mark, B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N.net. We've had Mark on a Renovare webinar titled Good Grief, How Can We Navigate Sorrow in Life-Giving Ways? You can find a link in the podcast show notes. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. We are grateful for all of you who help make this work possible. You can support Renovare and this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcasts, webinars, online classes, as well as information on events and our institute on our website at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends, be well.